chapter 8. Well, we're told that David was a man after God's own heart. This has always intrigued me. It has caused me to take a, a closer look at, at David, the heart of David. I realize that if I want to have a heart that's after God, I might want to take a look at what David's doing. David was far from perfect, but he did, ha- did have glimpses of greatness. And it was in those times of greatness that God molded God's heart, or that God molded David's heart, rather, after his own. On this side of the story that we have here in, in uh, Samuel, this side of the story of David, looking back at him, we're able to dissect the relationship between, between David and the Lord. We get a chance to see what pleased God and what displeased God. We get a chance to take a look at David's successes along with his failures. And here in our text, in, in uh, chapter 8, we will see David in some of his finer moments. His heart is right with God, as we learned that in chapter 7 last week. And as he goes forth into battle, we'll see that, that uh, uh, God blesses him. And we're going to see here in chapter 8 that while, uh, while David is displaying a good heart, God is able to mold and to shape his heart. Our focus of today's study, we're going to actually look at five different things, five different characteristics, attributes that make up a right heart, that make up a heart that follows after God. We're going to take a look at David's heart and see what he was doing. So let's read verse 1. After this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Megath Amma from the hand of the Philistines. Now, Megath Amma actually is the city of Gath. It was, it was the, the, the chief city, the royal city of the Philistines. It had the, the stoutest army, the biggest fortress, and, and David and his men went and, and uh, took it over. Uh, earthly wisdom would obviously tell us that this was a very tough thing to do, but we know through reading this passage here through chapter 8 that the Lord was always with David in his victories. And so he was able to, David and his men, his army, they were able to take over the city of Gath. Verse number 2, Then he defeated Moab, forcing them down to the ground. He measured them off with a line. With two lines he measured off those to be put to death, and with one full line those to be kept alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadadazer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to recover his territory at the Euphrates, at the river Euphrates. David took from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Also, David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. We'll see here, looking at these verses, that David spared both people and animals in the two separate victories here. Saul, in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, did the same thing, with one big difference. He did it without the blessing of God. See, Saul was specifically instructed by the Lord not to leave a living animal, not to leave a living human, nope, nothing alive, to destroy it all. But we remember, as I said, that, that Saul did not do this. He did not obey God's command, and he brought not only people back, but animals as well. And so this angered the Lord. David did not have the same instructions, so that he was blessed by the Lord in his victory. So let's, like, let's take a look at the difference in the two heart of these two, two men, Saul and David, after they had their, their individual victorious battles. Saul will take a look at his heart as he did it, his victory, or his victory in, in uh, chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, and we'll take a look at David here in chapter 8 of 2 Samuel. First, we'll take a look at Saul. Saul was not only disobedient in sparing the king, he spared King Agag, if you remember, after the battle, but he also kept all the prized animals. And in doing this, he showed that the Lord, that he did not trust the Lord. He did not trust the provisions for either himself or for Israel. 
By his actions, he told the Lord that he didn't believe that he was sufficient to meet all their needs. You see in this narrative in 1 Samuel, Saul did not just keep any old person, but he kept the best of the best. He kept the king. And also he kept the best of the livestock. He kept everything that was the best, the things that he saw that would benefit him. Earthly wisdom would say that this makes sense. But Saul was anointed by the king. And as God's chosen one, he was not only to be, or he was not to be trusting in earthly wisdom or in earthly means. God wanted to be the only source that Saul trusted. But Saul failed to trust in the Lord. So let's take a look at David here in chapter 8. We can tell from the response of the Lord, one of blessing, that David did not receive any instructions to kill anything and everything. So in sparing a few people's horses and chariots, he was displaying good wisdom in the midst of battles, not disobedience as with that of Saul. But the most important thing is that David displays a heart of trust to the Lord, and we'll see that later. Verse 4, it says, David took 1,000 chariots, but then he, he hamstrung all the chariot horses except for 100 that could be used for the chariots. So David intended to use only 100 of the 900 chariots, or I'm sorry, of the 1,000 chariots. That means he had 900 at his disposal. So why didn't he take the other 900? Let's take a look and see what Psalm 33 verses 16 and 17 has to say. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is in vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. So we see here that David understood that the victory only comes from the Lord. He reflected back to the Lord's delivering of him from the hands of Goliath. He reflected back to the Lord when he delivered him from the hands of Saul and from all the other enemies that he encountered. David had seen the Lord's supply. David had seen him provide for himself numerous times. And David trusted in the Lord's provision. So we see the difference here between the heart of Saul and the heart of David. Saul's heart could not trust God, whereas David's heart knew nothing but to trust God. Where is your heart at today? Is God the sufficient king of your heart? Do you trust God? I know that you say you do. Most people that come to church say that they trust God. But what do your actions say? your actions say that you trust God in all his sufficiency, in all areas of your life? Or do your actions not line up with your words? Do you trust him with your finances? Do you trust him with your happiness and your joy? Do you trust him with your time? Do you trust him with the provision of this church? If you're a Christian, you have trusted him with eternal life. Do you really think that this is the only area that God is trustworthy? He tells us how he takes care of the birds of the air. How much more do you think he will take care of us? We were made to have dominion over the birds and all the animals. We were made in his own image. He says that we can trust him in everything. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So in our text, we see the first attribute of a right heart, a heart that's fallen after the Lord, is one that trusts in God. So this brings us to our second attribute of a right heart, one that is obedient to God. Let's look at verses 5 through 13. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadazar, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons, or military forts, in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went, and David took the shields of gold that belonged to the servants of Hadadazar, 
and brought them to Jerusalem, also from Beta and from Bor- uh, Berothe, cities of Hadadazer. King David took a large amount of bronze. When Toi, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the armies of Hadadazer, then Toi said, sent Joram to his sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadazer and defeated him. For Hadadazer had been at war with Toi, and Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of bronze. King David also dedicated these things to the Lord, along with the silver and gold that, had, that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued. Read verse 12 as well. From Syria, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, from Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadazer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. So we see here that David obviously receives a whole bunch of silver, a bunch of gold, a bunch of bronze. And he gets it from the spoils of the enemy, and he, as well as he gets it from the gifts of his friends. With it, he dedicates it to the Lord. It will later be used, this, all this gold, silver, and bronze will later be used in the building of the temple. Now David prayed for the enemy to be handed over to him. So when he won each battle, he knew that it was only by the provision of the Lord. So he knew that to claim everything for himself would be only to disobey God. So with it, he does the right thing. He dedicates it to the Lord, or he gives it to the Lord. In Exodus twenty-three nineteen, we are commanded to give our first fruits to the Lord. In reading this story here about King David and how he won the victories and he took the spoils from the enemies and how people gave him the gold and the silver, we, we think we automatically come to the conclusion that, yeah, yeah, he should. That is a good thing. He should be giving that to the Lord because he prayed for it. It's not his. God provided that to him. So what about you? When you pray for work, when you pray for provision, for money, anything that you need, and God provides it to you, what do you do with it? Do you claim it all as your own? Do you accept it as God's gift and then turn away to your own understanding and hang on to every last penny of it so you don't have to trust him again the next month? Or do you do as David does here? Recognize God that he alone is the great provider. Then in showing a heart of obedience, you give back to the Lord what is rightly his. Since the beginning of time, God has proven himself to be a great provider. The Bible is filled with pages of how God has provided for his people to meet their daily needs. And we know that God was faithful to meet our greatest need, our need of a Savior that would cleanse us from our sins. Jesus Christ was God's greatest provision. Philippians 4.19 tells us, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And that God of provision, the one who claims to meet every need that we have, is the same God that we turn to today in our time of need. And we know that God loves us just as much as he loved the people here in Scripture. How do we know that? The most famous verse in all the Bible, John three sixteen, it says, For God so loved the world. It doesn't just say God so loved David. God just loved the Israelites or Moses or Paul or his disciples. But it says God so loved the world, every one of us, you and me, them and us. God loved all of us that he sent his only son that whoever should believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God loves you, and God wants to provide for you. And as he provides for you, he wants you to give back to him in obedience. This brings us to our third characteristic, or our third attribute, of what a right heart looks like. I'm sorry, that was our third. A heart of, a heart of humility. 
No, I'm sorry. That was our second, huh? That was our second obedience. This does bring us to our third. I was right the first time. I should have went with it. Let's read verses 13 and 14. And we're going to see how it is that David displays a heart of humility. It says, And David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. He also put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all of Edom, he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. How do these verses display humility, you might ask? Well, at the end of verse 14, we see that the Lord is still with David. But how do we know that he had a humble heart? In verse 13, it says that David was making a name for himself. David was now the king of all of Israel. He was getting all the land back that was rightfully his. David is now an incredible, successful king. And everybody knew it. You can imagine how everyone treated David. You can imagine how they looked up to David with all of his new successes. When Saul had successes as king of Israel, it got to his head. He was filled with pride. He forgot that it was, he, he forgot who it was that anointed him as king, who it was that had positioned him as king, and who it was that was his provision as king. Proverbs 16, 18 tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. These words ring very true with those of Saul, with the life of Saul. Now, David, on the other hand, while all his people were singing his praises, while they were telling him how great of a hero he was, a war guy he was, he refused to forget where the credit was due. You see, it was at this time in David's life, in the midst of all these, this war going on, in the midst of all these great battles, that he penned Psalm 60, his prayer. And I'll just read the last of Psalm 60. David understood, see, who the glory was to go to. Pick it up in verse 11. It says, Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly. For it is he who shall tread down our enemies. So David understood that in war, that in time, in all areas of life, but specifically here in war, that it was God that the victory belonged to. So this is where David displays humility here. In 13 and 14, at this time of writing, praying to God in Psalm 60, David understood that it was not him, nor was it the strength of man that brought him victory. He knew and proclaimed that victory was only found in the Lord. And he reveals this with a humble heart. How do you deal with victory or success? Do you recognize that you are only walking in the ability and the provision that God has given you? When people want to praise or applaud you, do you give credit to the Lord? Do you, like David, refuse to forget who the rightful owner of praise belongs to? Or do you desire the praise of others? Do you want others to notice you for a job well done? Are you upset when no one comes up to you and says, thank you or great job, pats you on the back? You know, if this is your heart, if this is how you are, you're actually desiring that God would become less in the eyes of others. You are appointing people to your own ability. And you can't show people your own ability without hiding God's. You are actually taking something that God owns. His provisions to you, His making of who you are, and by your words and actions that you point people to yourself, you are not only stealing from God, but you are desiring to make Him look small. You're also lying to people, claiming God's ability as your own. This is called pride. It is one of the most hideous, despicable, disgusting things as sinners that our heart can be filled with. And until we fully realize the power of God and the powerlessness of man, we can't even begin to rid it from our hearts. 
we must realize the power of God. Psalm 62, 10 and 11. If riches or position increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. So we see here that humility, understanding who God is and who we are. Humility is the third attribute, the the third characteristic here in David's heart that we see. Now we'll come to the fourth attribute of David's heart, of a right heart, one that is following after God. And we're going to see that a right heart will be a just heart. Let's read verses fifth or let's read verse fifteen. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. We are told here that David ruled with justice to all his people. You all know what justice is. Justice is the quality of being fair and just. So one who displays justice is one who is involved in the determination of rights and assignment of rewards and punishments. As king and ruler of his people, this is what David did. He assessed situations and responded fairly in determining the rewards and the punishment based on the actions of his people. If you are given a role in leadership, an employer, a leader in ministry, a leader in your home, does this define how you treat people? Are you fair? Does the age of the person come into play when determining discipline? Are you harder on those that are much younger and easier on those who are closer to your age? Do you discriminate because of position? Are you harder on those who have a much lower position than you and easier on those who have a position that is much closer to yours or maybe even equal to yours? Do you look to the status of a person when determining the severity of discipline? This person may come from a more notable background, a background that maybe they're wealthy, or maybe it's just that you know the person you know, the, you know the parents or something from the kid. Or that this person may be a relative of yours or a friend. All, all has to do with status, who they are. Therefore, you may not act swiftly. These labels, these things I label here would be considered acts of injustice. It has something to do with who the people are, not what they did. As leaders, when we choose to give in to injustice, the effects can be very damaging. It sends a confusing message to people that if you're older or if you're more talented, or if you have a higher position, or if you're a friend, or if you have money, or if you have anything at all to offer to people, that you'll be held to a different standard. And this makes people focus on the wrong areas in life. It tells people that who you are is more important than what you do, that striving to be something that you currently are not is more important than obedience. And thankfully, injustice does not describe the God that we serve. Deuteronomy 32.4 tells us that he, God, is a rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. God has one standard for all of us in his judgment. It is perfection. He doesn't care about your race, your status, your rank, your ability, your knowledge, your good works, habits, or anything else that may describe you. He cares only about one thing that you have placed your hope and faith in his son, Jesus Christ. So we see here the fourth attribute of a right heart, one that is following after God's own heart, is one that is just. This brings us to our last attribute of a right heart. We're going to see here in verses 16 through 18 that a right heart sees the values in others. Let's read verses 16 through 18. It's fun. We have some more names here. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all of his people. That was 15. Joab, the son of Zeruah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Zodak, the son of Ahitub, 
and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priests. Saharah was the scribe, and Baniah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's son were chief ministers. Anyway, you got it. <laughs> See you do any better. <laughs> so while David is establishing his kingdom, he surrounds himself with gifted people to take care of the nation as a whole, to take care of the rest of the needs of the nation. David realizes that he cannot serve and take care of the nation all by himself. He understands that he understands that God has given people in different gifts and different abilities, and that it is his responsibility as king to appoint people to the position that would best utilize these different gifts or abilities. And this is the exact picture that God has in mind for the church. God has given us different people God has given different people gifts and abilities, and God wants us to take up our position in the church to benefit the entire body. First Corinthians twelve twelve says for as the body is, of, is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If you are not a working part of the body of Christ, you need to be. God has gifted you in a way that you may not even be aware of. If you are not sure what it is that God has gifted, gifted you with, you need to ask. Ask the Lord. Ask other people. Ask people in leadership. God does not make people he cannot use. You guys believe that? God does not make people that he cannot use in the body. Find out what your gifts and abilities are and begin to bless others. And if you're not serving the body and you know what your gift and abilities are, and what are you waiting for? Why are you not participating in what God has gifted you with? If you know what God has gifted you with, and yet you remain unwilling to use these gifts to serve Him and to serve others, you're in sin. You're not confused. You are unwilling. God does not want an unwilling heart. God will not bless an unwilling heart. When it comes to the body of Christ, there are only two types of members, those who are working for the good for the body and those who are not. And if you're a leader in the church, you need to be encouraging people in their gifts and abilities so that they will not only be able to bless themselves, but they'll be a blessing to others. Often is the case that people do not step up or help out or step into leadership because they lack the confidence to do so. This is probably because they're unsure of how God has gifted them, what their abilities might be. If you as a leader are willing to take the time to look for and encourage others in their gifts, you'll be amazed at how many people will step up and help out in ministry. So the last attribute here that we see of a heart that is after God is one that understands and sees the value in others. So now that we have taken a closer look in the heart of David, a man that we know has a heart after God's own heart, we have seen here in chapter 8 that David's heart was not or, I'm sorry, we have seen here in, in chapter 8 that David's heart was one that trusted God. It was one that was obedient. It was humble. His heart was a just heart, and his heart saw the value in others. How would you label your own heart? Is it a heart that is after God's heart? Do these five attributes describe your heart? Or is, a, is it a heart that would be more accurately defined as one that is after self? If you would define, if you define your heart as one that is more about self than God, 
then you need to readjust your focus. You need to readjust your heart. You need to remember who your king is. You need to remember who your provider is. You need to remember who your deliverer is. You need to remember who is powerful and who is powerless. The reason that David was victorious here in the battle and here in chapter 8 is because that prior to the battle in chapter 7, David remembered these things. He remembered who his provider was. He remembered who his king was. He remembered who his deliverer was. He had a correct focus on God. He realized God as all his sufficient provider. And you guys, this is the key. This is the key that we have in, in understanding these attributes of a heart that is after God's heart. It has nothing to do with how hard you try to line up your heart after God's. It has nothing to do with striving to, to find yourself in God's, in God's will and his heart. It has nothing to do with the concentration level that you have in dying to yourself. It has everything to do with each day that you get out of bed, you place him at the highest position, and you place you at the lowest position. And it's when we understand this, it's when we understand that separation of us with God here and us down here, that God is able to start working on our heart. It is able, it is there that he's able to, to create in us a heart that is like David's, a heart that is after his heart. Let's pray. Father God, thank you tonight for your words of encouragement. Thank you for revealing to us, Lord, what our hearts need to look like. I thank you, Father, that we don't have to guess. Thank you for giving us ability. Thank you for the giftings that you give us. Help us to understand, Father, that, that you are our sufficiency. Help us to understand that has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with you, Lord. Father God, we pray that you would just create in us new hearts, not just a heart that's new when we accepted you as our Savior, Lord, but create in us new hearts, hearts that hate sin, hearts that love you, hearts that chase after you, hearts that look like David's heart, more importantly, a heart that looks like your heart, Lord, not because our own efforts or our own striving, Lord, but because we finally realize who you are, how great you are, and how great we're not, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for taking care of us, Lord. Thank you for your provision. Help us to see you as we need to see you, Lord. Help us to have a great week this week. In Jesus' name, amen.